Hello, everybody. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. Um, we have no Jeff and no Jason today, um, but it is our first show of 2019, and I have a special guest, Theosaurus Rex. Woo! It is I, the Theosaurus Rex. Greetings, all. I'm, I'm not allowed to call you Sexy Rexy, because that's inappropriate. Um, that is? I was thinking of just calling you Trex. Is that cool? I don't know how I feel about this. Oh, Let's go. You, we can go for it for now. You and your feelings. I know. My feels. <laughs> hey, uh, it's really cold, man. Really cold here in Canada. It was like, uh, actually, it's not really that cold. I'm just kind of a wuss. I know that uh, you in America got hit with some really cold temperatures, but I had yes. to break out my um, Acme laser vest today. Oh, um, it's like minus fifteen, but it was like a wind chill to like minus twenty-two. What's that in real temperatures? Real temperatures. Yeah. Oh, we have, so we, like we, we we don't get political here. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm what just what saying. are you doing? I don't know. Anyways, my Acme laser vest was everything I had hoped, and so if you guys go to acmelasers.com um you can check it out it's actually their featured project product right now let so, me go there right now yeah. yep right they're now they're making dinosaur size like right now okay hopefully okay. they get this in time while it's yes. still on the website hopefully hey it's so, not right. yeah what sorry i said if not we'll survive maybe now hold up let me ask you a question though about the acme laser mm -hmm. vest does it have any negative side effects? You said you wanted to talk about tonsils, didn't you? I did. Okay. So what was it? What was it you wanted to talk about? So I just had my tonsils out, and it was a gloriously terrible procedure. And um, did it involve it, lasers? <clears throat> believe it or, I don't know actually, but it felt like there were lasers stabbing at my throat, which is sad. So I was oh. on very powerful pain medication. Let me ask you a question, though, before uh -huh. to kind of lead up to everything. Have you ever heard the idea where people say, oh, well, I just have to go and experience things myself or else I can't, you know, speak on it or talk about it or I can't learn unless I, I experience something for myself? Absolutely. What do you think about that? I think that's true about a lot of things. Are you... Very interesting I have always been of the mindset that you don't you can learn from other people's mistakes. And you oh, can that's learn from other people do stuff as well. And that's, valid. that's like primary primarily the way that I learn from stuff. So it was very interesting. Um <clears throat> so going on all the, the medicine and stuff like that, because I had kidney stones and so I know how to deal with the narcotics and everything. I've kind of learned what going through withdrawals are like without actually having to be addicted really to drugs. And so mm. one of the things that I learned this go around so I was kind of bragging to all my friends there. Oh, you could be on the, 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 the heavy medication. And I'm like, ah, I won't be too bad. I don't know why people get onto it. But this time, I, I weaned myself off of it, you know, every four hours to six hours to eight hours to 12 hours, et cetera. But I started learning, or I started realizing around midnight when the, um, sorry, the meds are still affecting me, when the um, uh, withdrawal started really hitting me, I was like, wow, if I just have just a little bit of the narcotic, then I won't be in this uh, terrible pain anymore. I won't be in this weird, antsy feeling and stuff like that. 
Yeah. And it really gave me the insight into people like maybe people don't take the drugs because it makes them feel good. Maybe they're really taking it because it helps them stave off the withdrawals because withdrawals are just simply terrible in like every way. And yeah. it really gave me kind of insight into that. And I was like, wow, I don't have to have gone through drugs now and you know, had to have been addicted to stuff and having gone through rehab and that kind of stuff to be able to speak to people. So it's interesting that a simple medical procedure that like people have all the time, not as much so as an adult, can give you great insight into stuff. And I think God's pretty cool like that. Totally. Totally. I, I had to do like, I, had, I did like morphine when I was, Ooh. yeah, when I was, uh, I, I had a appendicitis and I had to get a, Ooh. yeah, so I had to get an appendectomy um, laparoscopically. I almost died. Ooh. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. I, you know, I, and uh, like, I really liked morphine. The first time, it was, like, so awesome. And then the second time, third no time, not as good. Yeah. But it's really cool the first time. So don't do drugs, guys. Kids. Yes, it's really cool. But it gets worse because you don't get that same, like, hit every time. No, you don't. No. And so it's, uh, it's interesting. I don't remember the weaning process because I think they kind of walked me through it at the hospital while I was there. Yeah. Like they just basically weaned me uh, off and I got like a terrible headache all the time. But I assumed yeah. it was from caffeine withdrawal because I wasn't allowed to have caffeine for a while either. Ah, uh, yeah. Do you remember feeling like super antsy and like you needed to move around but you couldn't really and didn't help? Um, I had to move around. I was supposed to move around um, oh. to get the gas out of my system. I guess they inject gas <laughs> into you. And so, yeah, I had to walk around and fart a lot. That was part of my recovery. It was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it was interesting. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You walk around and fart a lot. Yeah. And I've said it before on the podcast. I recommend near-death experiences to everyone because it really puts things in perspective. I think you mentioned it last time I was on the podcast. Oh, was that with you? I think ah. that was one of our topics. That's awesome. Hey, so... Oh, I, by the way, by the way, when you said you have to experience it to like, I, I think the best thing is to experience something to yeah. learn it. Um, like that's the best way to really have a strong, you know, a well-informed opinion on something. But intelligent right. people learn vicariously. Um, ah. And I don't know if everybody in our audience has heard the word vicariously before, but it's like this idea that you you learn from someone else's experience because, I mean, like, you don't learn not to murder um, simply by murdering and then being like, wow, I feel really bad about it. You can actually right. learn by looking at someone else's experience and what murdering did to them. I don't know why I went to murder with that. Hey, that's a good one to go to. What, so it's Because it's kind of like if that wasn't the case where we could learn vicariously through people, then we were in a position to where God put us into situations where we have to be able to sin in order to speak about, talk about, in order to interact and learn about things. And yeah. that is very unfair. Okay. Very Calvinist, but very unfair. Well, story, like, try not to make it too long of a story, but um, I actually, okay. we had to take this uh, course, um, interpersonal communication. It was part of my um, education degree. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like a psychology course, but the professor was like just a total whack job. And um, he turned interpersonal communication into, like, this weird, like, Buddhism 101 kind of thing. It was weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did I mention it was weird? Um, but he, he said that any intelligent person will learn from their own experience, which I was like, hmm, 
And he's like, so if I want to teach my kid not to walk across the street without looking both ways, what I will do is I will get someone to pretend to almost hit them with their car, and then the kid will learn. Oh, my that's goodness. How an in, that's how an intelligent person learns. I'm like, that's how a dumb person learns, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, because you have to learn because of the negative um, that's term. No, you could learn vicariously by hearing about yes. little Johnny that crossed the road and got hit by a car and died. Exactly. A horrible death. <laughs> Almost like in Arrested Development, how they had the guy whose arm came off whenever they were like teaching, like when they needed to teach lesson. <laughs> I love Arrested Development. That show is ridiculous. My coworkers and I are actually looking for someone who has an arm that can be pulled off. When you talk about learning, mm -hmm. like, having sick notes, being, having sick notes brought in. And not coming in sick. If anyone out there can help us out, that'd be great. We're in the United States. Of America? Yes. Just to be clear, because there's... I don't know why it's of America. Well, I guess it's because it's in America. I mean, yes. I'm in America, North America. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, right. just, you're really America's hat, but that's a side note. We're not getting political. <laughs> nope, nope, not getting political. Hey, uh, Jeff said no. Um, <laughs> bottles of wine and Kierkegaardian metaphysics Woo! is on the ADD master list. I don't know what that is. Yes. Well, let me, I'll tell you a quick story. I met up with a friend of, I have a friend that was terrible with all these girls and like used them and all that kind of stuff. And I always became friends with the ex-girlfriends so that I could help them get through and get over this guy's abuse of them. And so this uh -huh. one friend of mine has actually, um, we've stayed connected. And so I got to go out to, um, to dinner with her and her new husband. And, um, and as we were just talking, because he was at work, they were, he worked at a restaurant, she went through a bottle of wine. And we ended up, after the first, I think, bottle and a half of wine, we started talking about Kierkegaardian metaphysics. And wow. metaphysics in general is talking about things that aren't necessarily tangible or touchable and stuff like that. The total meta. Yeah. And we were talking about um, <laughs> how how odd it was to her that being around Christians and all this kind of stuff that I was a real Christian, quote unquote, because I was willing to question things and I was willing to um, take into you know, listen to other people as I talked about things that may have been anti-Christian or whatever the case is. And I Ooh. thought it was really interesting how she qualified who was a real Christian, who wasn't, because I'm very conservative compared to a lot, not necessarily politically at all. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, you know, the theologically. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. And yet, yet <clears throat> she considered me more Christian than some of the other people who align with more of her beliefs because I was willing to challenge things. And I think growing up in the South, um, for her, in that case, she was around a lot of people who were just, who didn't want to listen to anything that didn't go in with their beliefs. Right. And one of the things that we began talking about was Kierkegaard and his kind of idea of questioning things like what is faith and if Abraham yeah. you know is, is the pinnacle of all that is faith and he did things that we would see as evil can we really consider Abraham a good person and is having faith good and we just got to get into all that kind of stuff and it was phenomenal the um, conversation that we had about that and the Bible is full of people that question God and I think a lot of people now you're in Canada so I'm not 100% sure what the religious makeup over there is but down in the south where i reside you, everyone's cultural christians and you don't question anything the pastor says you don't question all that kind of stuff and um 
And that was one of the things that Rob Bell really helped me to see, because we were always taught to question things. But just in general, yeah. Rob Bell, you know, about how within the Bible, people are questioning things all the time. Absolutely. That's actually where I got that from. Rob Bell says that. Yes. Yes. Rob Our Bell. favorite theologian, Rob Bell. This Woo. is not a controversial episode at all. <laughs> he taught a lot of things that were pretty good. So love, have you... Yeah, sorry. Oh, go. Have you ever... Um, have you thought much about Kierkegaardian metaphysics? No, not at all. Ah, you're missing out. You're missing out. <laughs> I'll recommend you a podcast where you can learn about Kierkegaard, and it'll be great. All right, Glorious. yeah. You, do you want to plug it right now? It is... Um, oh, no. I totally forgot. That's uh, a Philosophy really of the Classics. Philosophy of the Classics? Philosophy of the Classics. Philosophy of the Classics by Nigel Warburton. And he okay. just goes through stuff. It's not necessarily Christian or whatever, but he just goes through philosophical people and like their writings and stuff like that. A nice little 10-minute, hold it neatly podcast. Cool. I will check that out. And you guys check it out, too. Woo! I don't think I'm going to put it in the show notes, so you guys can just write down whatever he said. You can rewind it. I'll give you guys a couple minutes to do that. Giving them time to rewind. <laughs> I don't know why we're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I substitute taught science. I'm actually a science minor, ma math major. But um, I stood in front of the class, and I opened the class with I, what I thought was like the most epic thing to say in a science class. I said, science is the science of science. Uh, far, <clears throat> far out. I don't know what else to say. Hey, um, you know when like people quote like numbers, and yeah. they mean absolutely nothing to you? Like I noticed um, on Twitter... An author friend of mine was like, I've written 5,000 words today. Or it's like, I've written 5,000 words now, just 2,000 to go. And I'm like thinking, is that good? Like, I don't know. Like, I never count my words when I write. Neither do I. Or I was like, always one of Sorry, go ahead. That was always the annoying thing in school when you had to have a word count. And yes. you had to like make sure you hit all that stuff. And I would just write like essays and like, oh crap, I'm like four times this. And other people are there just like inserting random words so yeah. they can hit that exact amount. Or it's oh, pages terrible. and you double space it just so you can get to that many pages. Yes. Yeah. Or in my case, Classic. I have to make it shorter. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1. You know, 1.25 um, page width. But I don't know. It's just, I just find it funny, you know? And it's like when people talk like, I don't know, oil production and they're like, yeah, this plant, it, uh, it makes thousand barrels a day and i'm like yeah is that good yeah what does that what does that mean to me oh, or like our our debt is up to this much money when it's like a big corporation or like politics or whatever and i'm like yeah i don't know is that bad like debt sounds bad but like what's what's a good debt what's i don't know good debt is when people owe you money yeah <laughs> that's a beautiful thing there you go someday someday people will owe me money Hey, you ever, like, I don't know, you talk about, like, uh, movies or, like, music or whatever. Do you ever feel like you're supposed to like certain things? Like, this yes. is what humans like. 
or restaurants too, right? Like it's like, oh, and I went, I've been wondering how much of that influences the way we feel about something. Like if I go to McDonald's and I really super love it, um, I don't feel like I should. So I'm not going to go to like my friends and say, yeah, I went to the McDonald's on Main Street. It was amazing. Like it was the best Big Mac I've never ever tasted. Why not though? It's great. No, I, I I think you should appreciate the good things in life. But then I mean, like if there's like some kind of fancy restaurant, like you feel like you've already decided you have to like it, unless you want to be yes. a snob and decide you don't like anything. That is true. Or if you're going to like lunch with someone, one of my in my I kind of have a new position at my job, and so I'm in purchasing. So people will take me out to lunch. And I feel like I have to like if we go to a place and it's like, I would never order anything on here and I would never pay that much for a meal. This is terrible. <laughs> this is the best food I've ever had. Why can't I just have a hamburger? I don't need this. <laughs> what is a truffle? You know, and how does that supposed to... Oh, no, no, don't, don't say anything. All right. My, uh, my Google Home is attacking me. Uh-oh. Okay, we're good. Yeah, what, what is a truffle and why should I... How does this make the steak taste any better than without having it on there? I, I thought a truffle was a chocolate thing. I thought it was like a mushroom. Oh, We're not supposed it is. to get political, right. though. Nope, we're not getting political. We can't go into it. <laughs> we can't talk about <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, uh, yeah, actually, for uh, the Wax Museum, Doug and I were talking about doing a restaurant review, but like none of, like neither of us really know anything about restaurants, so we'd be like, yeah, that... Uh, Boston Pizza on Country Hills Boulevard. It's got a pretty good, um, I don't know, spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> but it's like the only thing I've ordered there, so I don't know if anything yeah. else is good on the menu. So, well, I think you'd have to compare it to other things, and you guys both definitely have to get separate items. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny to like try to be an expert on something you have limited experience with. I do it all the time. <laughs> hey, so so I okay. This this is kind of like a Jordan Peterson kind of concept Uh-oh. that I'm still kind of chewing on. I've been stuck okay. on it for a while. So um, he was talking about how like there's like kind of a core truth that we can all agree upon. Although in this day and age, maybe not. But like I don't know. This is up. This is down. Let's just mm-hmm. be stupid simple, okay? Yeah. Like that's that's the core reality. But outside of the core reality, there's like a dreamlike kind of reality where we're not really sure. We're not 100% sure of things. And those are kind of the areas of morality or, you know, I don't know, a bunch of different concepts. But he said that um, what ideologies do is they try to make the dreamlike reality, the things that aren't really solid, that we haven't really been able to articulate properly as human beings – and make them look like those kind of solid core truths, right? Mm. And he's like, basically, ideologies do a terrible job of doing that. But he's like, but what does articulate those kinds of ideas, like, I don't know, maybe like, what is love? Maybe that's a really good one, right? Is art. Art does a dynamite job of doing that. So I was thinking about that and how, like, if I really want to change the world and convince people, you know, of realities that are beyond what they see, you know, as we are trying to do as Christians, Mm. it's better to do it through art 
than to try to do it through like propositions, like rules, um, you know, in the style of an ideology. Yeah. How how would you define art in this situation? I think in the in the situation of like um, I think in the situation of like witnessing, it's narrative. I mean, telling your story, I think, is a far more effective thing than to just sit there and quote facts at people. Yeah. And other people may be telling the story. I mean, that was what, with Jesus and the woman at the well, she was going to say, hey, come listen to this guy who told me about all my life. Yeah. And so, and that's, huh. That's well, that, intriguing. Yeah, and that's like that emotional connection. I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up in being intellectual and quoting facts and like, you know, there's a certain guy that keeps saying facts don't care about your feelings. I know that's true sometimes without getting he political. He owns those liberals like all the time. <laughs> Absolutely destroys. <laughs> but the fact is like emotions, we're, we're, it's part of who we are. Yeah. And so I, I think that emotions are important, and I think that's what art speaks to. Mm-hmm. And our life is an art. I mean, everything you look around, I mean, when the, when the Bible says that his glory is everywhere, so no man is without excuse, it's like, well, right. look at the beauty. Look at the art that God created. That's evidence of him. Yeah. And I think to some level, um, music really speaks to that as well. I um, I started watching... A, TV show called The Good Doctor, and uh-huh. I was listening to like the music's like playing in and all that kind of stuff during certain parts, and I'm like, wow, this is like really moving me. This is like really like hitting my soul. It, mm. I wonder who it's by. And then I see that it's by Dan Romer, who does like music for like video games and stuff like that. And he recently oh. did the Far, the Far Cry Five series, and I've been really like into all of that music because he actually has like lyrics and it's it's music from like a cult's perspective. Um, but it's it's interesting because of how just evokes such emotions with, within me as like a Christian and then like in the TV show like I start hearing the strings come in and I'm just like Ooh, I can't cry I can't cry I can do this yeah. I can do this oh my god and so and it's just like like four notes like the roll on like the violin or whether it's violin or cello or whatever it is and it's just like instantly I'm ready to be emotional with that and I think that really speaks to like what you were talking about before about how like art can just speak to us on a level that facts and like because they're going through, like, the music's playing, and then you've got the guys, like, going through all these computations and everything, and it's like, okay, all that means nothing to me, and I'm sure it probably would if I were really big into, like, biology and medicine and stuff like that, but what is getting me into, like, and getting me emotional is the fact that just those notes that are playing on the um, violin, and it's just, it's really interesting the way that that kind of affects you, because I like to think I'm, I'm relatively intellectual, but then just those notes are just, like, totally speak to me. Total so, magic. It and is. I mean, it's really interesting. You think about like David and how his music was able to calm Saul. Ooh, that's a good point. And despite the, despite the fact that Saul hated David, it was still like there were moments where David would be playing for him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess one time it didn't work because he threw a spear at him. But like, sure. Yeah. It calms the savage beast. Yes. I I don't remember where I read or heard this, but like William James, which I really should have Googled this first, but he was a dude, apparently, believed that randomness <laughs> is the key to creativity. Um, he was a psychologist. 
An American philosopher and psychologist. There you go. And see? the first educator to offer a psychology course in the United States. Oh, he created pragmatism. That's the United States' main contribu contribution to um, philosophy. That's kind of the idea that um, you do what is the most practical and makes the most sense. So, I like um, that. Uh, not universalism. Um, I'm sorry, the medicine's messing with me. The utilitarianism is kind of based out of pragmatism. I feel you. So. Anyways, yeah, no, that's cool. That's very cool. So he believed that randomness is the key to creativity. And I, I, I think that's one of those things, like, with when you talk about, like, um, when people work really hard, and I, I, I've been finding, like, for me, it's like if I keep myself too busy, there's really no space for that creativity. And it's almost mm -hmm. like that randomness has to come out out of boredom. Like, they say it's actually best to find times to be bored because that's when your ideas will come because they will come randomly. Maybe that's why people think so well in the shower. Because showering is boring. Yeah, like, you don't, like, you just, you're just in there with the, uh, the, like, the water and like, there's nothing to do. And so you're just like, well, I can, well, maybe, you know, rinse and repeat and all that kind of stuff. It's like, maybe I will have an epiphany now. Yeah. Hey, I was watching a movie or a TV show that's set in the 60s, and I noticed that one of the ladies said toodaloo <laughs> at the <laughs> end of the conversation. And I'm like, I think we should bring that back. Toodaloo. And so I Googled it because I'm like, what's the origin of it? Right? Mm -hmm. And um, I found this on a website on the Internet. Oh, Dang, I was going to put the source on here, but I don't see it on here. Anyways, so the definition is goodbye, turns out. <laughs> and there's like two ways to spell it. It's like toodle-o-o-u, or there's toodle as two words, toodle and then loo. That's like with an L-E. Huh. Yeah. But um, it actually comes from the word toddle which means to walk in a relaxed manner. Toddle off appeared in the late <laughs> 1800s and means to walk away or to leave. Hey, hey, toddle off. I don't know if I like the sound of that. No, it sounds a little, uh, little much. Toodaloo appeared shortly afterward in the early 1900s. It is unclear exactly how or why the loo got added. Now you know. Still very bum, little. Bum, <laughs> so um, I guess this kind of got me thinking too about like idioms in general. And um, I was reading this book that talked about like Vladimir Putin. Yes. And Vladimir said something really cool. He's like, someone else's cow may moo. But yours should keep quiet. And it was like basically a Russian proverb um, that is roughly the equivalent of the pot calling, calling the kettle black. Which, I just think that's a dumb idiom. Like, how does that even make any sense? The pot calling the kettle black? I think the cow one's better. Actually, I do like the cow one better because I think it's more relevant. Because we all know that like, cows are loud and make noises. But yeah. no one really has pots and kettles 
that are both black. Like all of my pots and kettles are more like aluminium or stainless steel or something. So I like that you said aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> it's a lot more fun to say than aluminum. I cannot talk. All good, good thing I'm podcasting today. Um, hey, that, and that's like that. I, anyways, there's just a lot of sayings that we use. I think like cake and eat it too. I used to have such a beef with that. I think I'm over it now. But it's now, like. How do, you, how do you know that phrase? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. How do I know that phrase? Like, so there's, how, you how can't have used? your cake and eat it too. And then there's, you can't eat your cake and have it too. Hmm. That's then, better. Your version's better. Because you yes. can't have your cake and eat it too. To me, it's like saying, no, please put the cake in front of me, but I don't want to eat it because that would be entitlement. <laughs> right? But I right. think what it actually means is you cannot maintain your cake and eat it too, which is still dumb. But, yes. but the idea is that you can't eat it and still have cake on your plate. Well, There's got to be a better idiom than that. What does it mean to have a cake? Is a crumb a cake? If you keep the crumbs in your beard, is that considered having it as well? I don't know, man. See? These are the questions we have to figure out. I know. Well, see, we can't get into politics. Classic old, like classic overthinking. But it just, it bothers me that people don't think about these things. You know what yeah. I mean? Like people just say stuff without thinking about it. And it's like, these are dumb sayings. Hey, you heard about like uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Yes, right? I do it on a uh, biweekly basis. Okay, so you know how that like that um, saying originated? Yes, but tell us, tell our or not viewers, listeners. You might you might tell it better. So back in the day, they would have a bunch of this giant like pot that they would put all like the people in, and they start off with the father, and then the mother, and then all the kids. And so that way the water was hottest when it was the father's turn and stuff like that. Then what they would do at the very end, they would throw the bathwater out. But sometimes, in theory, apparently, they might leave the baby in the bathwater. And so the whole thing was don't leave the baby in the bathwater and then throw it out. Although, I don't know how you would forget you have a baby in the bathwater to be able to do it at the beginning. But Man, people were really bad parents back then. Well, I think they had so many of them, it didn't matter. Like, they were ready to, like, just lose babies here and there. So, yeah, I've got we six should, of them, like, so we're good. We should, like, make up a new saying that has something to do with, like, not paying attention to your baby and using your cell phone. I don't know. Maybe oh, it'll come back to me later. I'll have to real. wait until I'm bored to come up with something. Okay. And I'll think about it, too. Hey, so I, I was thinking about this idea that, like, okay, I, it, just imagine you had a little kid. And, okay. I have um, like three of them. You have like three of them? In my imagination, okay. I have three of okay. them. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I was just thinking about this. I'm like, okay, so when you have a little kid, there's a tendency, especially when they're a toddler, maybe, oh, maybe about five or four or five, um, they'll have their friends over, and their friends will like pull out every toy from the shelf. Have you ever seen that happen? Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, Okay. So I was, like, thinking about, I just thought it'd be funny if a parent's just like, look, I can't stand your friends. Every time they come over, they just make a big mess. And I mean, like, seriously, they smell bad. I mean, one of them pooped himself. Like, it's just ridiculous. 
And one of them tried to bite me. I, I just can't stand your friends. Are you saying this to your toddler? Well, none of my kids are toddlers anymore. But, I mean, would you be saying that to the toddler? That I can't stand your friends? Yes. Well, if I could go back in time, maybe I could say that. Oh. Maybe I'll say that as a grandparent. Look, I can't stand your friends. I just like the idea of having, like, an adult conversation with a kid. With a little baby? Yeah. Look, dude, it's not going to (laughs) happen. Sorry. If you only understood... I remember when my uh, nephew, my niece was like little. She's like actually 19 now. But when my niece was like little, um, her her mom, my sister, um, had said, hey, it's time to go now. And she like started arguing because she was in the middle of coloring or whatever. And I kind of looked at, I looked at my niece and I said, your resistance is futile. You must comply. (laughs) Wow. How did how did she respond? I she looks a little confused. Okay. A little. <laughs> a little. Hey, oh, another favorite toddler moment. Um I it was like one of my sister's friends um was over and she had a little kid and the parent was just like you need to eat five more bites. And the kid's like, no, I can't eat that much. And I'm like, ooh, how about this? You eat three, and then you eat two more. And the kid's like, okay. <laughs> yes. See, now, is that a trick that you did when you had kids? Um, I think I joked about it a lot with my kids. My kids kind of okay. got kind of the inside on a lot of things I try to use on kids. <laughs> I actually show them every year we would watch um, Jimmy Kimmel's um, I Ate All Your Halloween Candy, and we'd all laugh at it. I've never seen that. Oh, it's so good. Google it. It's like the kid's reaction after the parents say, I ate all your Halloween candy. And you can see Ah. which kids are super entitled, because they're like, I worked hard. I walked to every house. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Hey, I read uh, Chase Thompson's book on um, racism. You know who Chase Thompson is, right? I do. Isn't he on the wonderful podcast, I Just Know More, the Gospel Friends? Yeah. That was very R.I.P. Gospel Friends. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize he had written a book about slavery. Yeah. Well, no, sorry. Did I say slavery? Racism. Racism. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it does involve slavery. Oh, that's what's on the master list. Yeah, yep, you're writing the master it. list, weren't you? Ah. Yeah, but I was. It was really interesting to me because between that and I think I was reading quite a bit about like uh, the Nazis and like how the church dealt with Nazism, mm-hmm. because there were like multiple churches in Germany that were like, no, no, he's right. The Jews are terrible, right? <laughs> And, I mean, the same thing yeah. happened with slavery, too, where, like, the church is like, no, no, you're right. They're not really humans, right? And it, yeah. it's like how worldliness penetrated the church, and they reinterpreted the Bible to line up with that worldliness. And I was, like, thinking, hmm, we're not guilty of that at all, are we? Hmm. I think a lot of times what we do, especially as like a church thing, is we try to be, without getting political, 
we try to be relevant and we try to be like part of things and we try to make the gospel palatable so that people will come to church. And so like, especially right. if you're in down South and in the U S where, you know, you had a lot of slave owners, if you were out there speaking against slave owners, well, those slave owners were either going to donate money to your church or they were going to be there. Or maybe you had people who worked for the slave owners and they might be, you know, and so it's this whole thing to where I think a lot of times we end up try we end up, Oh, what is the right word I'm looking for? We compromise our beliefs so that we can have that opportunity to speak into somebody's life later on. Like, well, maybe if we get, let them get away with saying this this time, then we can speak into their life, you know, on a greater error or sin or something like that. And I think that's a, a legitimate struggle. And most of the time, though, we end up failing in it because we end up not saying anything about when it gets really bad for that you one opportunity, maybe. Say something later on. You got to think it would be worse now because I, I sense maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think that there's more money in this stuff than there ever has been. I think so. Because we have more, more money profitable. than we've ever had. Like the, uh, yeah, for sure. But I think like ministry is more profitable than it's ever been. Like I don't think in the 1800s they had these pastors that were like high rolling. Yeah, true, true. So, so it's just, it's interesting to me. I was actually listening to um, some guys talking about a bunch of guys that, you know, maybe got a little off track, like um, uh, Mark Driscoll. Um, Rob I'm Bell. I think of who else there was. Well, yeah, maybe Rob Bell. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rob Bell. Um, but he's our favorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then he started talking about Jordan Peterson. And this guy was saying, he's like, you know, Jordan Peterson, I really agree with everything he says. Which makes me think, I'm suspicious about him. It's like he's saying what I want to hear. And he will admit Ooh. that a lot of what he does is interact with people and figure out what works. And he's like yeah. taking the world by storm. But it's like, is he actually speaking the truth? Or is he just saying what people want to hear? Hmm. And that got me thinking because I'm like, well, what do I want to hear typically? Well, I yeah. typically want to hear things that challenge the status quo. Right. I'm like pretty much never happy with the status quo. I'm always like, oh, well, this guy's saying something interesting. So what if the status quo is okay? I'm probably not okay with that. And maybe that's what my failing is with this. Hmm. The status is not quo, and you need to rule it. Need to rule it? Rule it. Like you rule command it. it. Yes. Command it. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Jeez. Hey, I, I guess from one of the one of the Facebook groups, um, someone was telling me people were asking about cannabis, because cannabis is now legal in Canada. Um, they were like, well, what about, what about members of your worship team that do cam are, are doing cannabis, right? Which is mm -hmm. marijuana for people that don't know that. Um, <laughs> this is my, this is my stance on it. I said, dudes, anything to get an edge over the other churches. I mean, if it makes them more creative, then let's do that. It hurts. It hurts so much. <laughs> It's legal. It's not a sin anymore, right? Uh, 
It depends. I mean, so no, it's it's no longer a a um a legal sin or sin because you're breaking that, but there are other arguments to be made. Be sober minded. Yes. Yes. Um I've been reading this great book. Um it's like I Declare War by Levi Lusko. Um and uh, one of the things he was saying is like in the midst of whatever kind of terrible thing you're going through, he said, stop and worship. Because when you stop and worship, you remember who you are. Ooh, that's just really a, cool. Just a friendly reminder, homies. I, I went to a men's retreat where um, this pastor was saying, like, just imagine you're in, like, the worst sin you could be doing, right? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And guys struggle with some things, right? And he said, even if it's that, it's like, drop everything, raise your hands, and worship. Because this idea that it's like, no, 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 I need to have a period of peeling like garbage, and I can't be in God's presence or whatever. It's like, that's condemnation that doesn't come from God. Like, he will Mm -hmm. take the prodigal son the moment the prodigal son turns to him. Yeah. I think there's, that is, woo. Um. I first, I first realized that that's kind of what I do in things reading Forgotten God by Francis Chan. He was talking about the fact that a lot of times we, we feel that there's a, a moment of penance that's needed when we, yeah. after we sin or whatever, and we have to do yeah. that. And then I realized, holy crap, I do that. And he was talking about, you don't have to do that. And that so that's what? what the devil wants you to do. So that yeah, you're not exactly. going in and you, you are separated from God by your own choosing, not because God wants you to be. Yep. And... Um, yeah, that's really, I think it's a really powerful um, wording. And then, with especially the other thing with worship is that when we worship, we stop being focused on ourselves, we focus on God, and that's when God yeah. can really come in and move and begin to remind us who we are. And that's what Joseph Prince actually talks about, that especially we go with the thing for the guys, like pornography and stuff like that. We have to keep, he argues that we have to keep reminding ourselves so that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, righteousness of God through Christ, that we are a new creation, and that whenever we start to feel that way, um, where we want to be able to do something, or we're condemning ourselves for other stuff, that we have, if we remind ourselves with the truth, then it will help us, even if we do decide to sin afterwards, it's still fresh in our mind, and we can get back to it, like to reminding ourselves of speaking the truth over us more often. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the, I, I can't remember what book I was reading, but it talked about the mores and what uh, cultural mores are, which Mm -hmm. I guess are really like what is commonly thought of as what is good within a culture. I think that might be a good definition. (laughs) I would agree. It makes sense. But but I'm like, so I was thinking about this. I'm like, what if the percentage of our own mores was actually representative of the percentage of the teachings in the Bible? Because I, I think there's often what happens is we minimize the stuff in the Bible that we're like, well, I don't really want to take that seriously. Right. Like, Proverbs talks a lot about mockers and doesn't really put a positive light on arrogance and being a mocker. But yeah. I like to be a mocker, so <laughs> can we just say, like, maybe don't mock on Tuesdays? There you go. Yeah, as long as you don't sit in the seat of the scoffers, then you're good. <laughs> you stand up when you're scoffing, you're fine. That's what well, Psalm I, I think what's interesting, too, is that, like, 
there's certain arenas where there's like a suspension. I think that's the right term. Suspension of ethics. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we if talk. I'm at a sports game, and I've probably talked about this multiple times, but it's like when I'm we a talked sport- about it last time. It was glorious. We Go totally ahead. did. But it's the same thing. Yeah, it's like when I'm at a sports game, I can treat people like garbage because it's a suspension of ethics. So Proverbs doesn't doesn't apply. Right. And I'm like, why? Why is that the case? What if we did actually set up our mores the same way as the Bible? Because I don't think most of us are doing that. Well, if we look at this is something that like, kind of my family is like struggling with. Um, Proverbs uh, twenty-two twenty. Proverbs twenty-two <clears throat> says that um, uh, in twenty-four and twenty-five it says, "Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared." The NLT Ooh. talks about you, you know, don't mess with anyone who's in who's hothead, or else you could your soul could be in danger. But it's like. We know people who are, who are who get angry really easy. We have to work with them. We end up having to associate them in so many areas that we we kind of have to choose. Okay, well, I, I I can't follow that law, so therefore, you know, I can go and throw away other things because it's difficult to do. Or how you're not uh. supposed to even have lunch with someone who's sexually immoral, but you know, we do it all the time because of the way that our society and everything and our work and whatnot is done. And so, like, I have a friend that I was like, hey, let's go out to lunch with this person. He's like, uh, this person's living with his girlfriend. I can't go to lunch with you. And I'm like, but you could speak to him. It'd be okay. And he's like, nope, not if he claims to be a Christian. And I'm like, ah, okay, fine. I'm going to oh, go out to lunch gosh. with him, and I'm going to share with him about this. But see, but in, but in and you yeah. scoff at that, and you're sitting down, by the way, which is bad. But what if... We were to follow the mores that were representative of teachings in the Bible in that way. So then it's is that one guy actually doing what he's supposed to be doing? It's tough because Jesus sat with sinners. Exactly. Right? Oh, he gosh. ate with sinners. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think what it is, though, is like, and it's funny because um, I have a kid that's going from like a Christian school to a public school. And it's like kind of teaching him, it's like, okay, like, it's not don't be friends with the bad kids, but it's like don't have a steady diet of kids whose morality is, like, different than yours, right? Like, yeah. you you need to build a core, and it's like Jesus had his 12 disciples who were kind of his solid group of people that he hung out with. Right. And then outside of that, he hung out with all these people. But it wasn't like he had a steady diet of, the prostitute that he hung out with all the time, right? right. Like, because I, I think that there is like, you know, you've got to have a solid core of people that have your back, um, and then you go out into hang out with those people that don't have the same mores. Yeah, it's it- interesting point. though. Like, I, I don't really live in a predominantly Christian culture here in mm. Calgary or in Airdrie. I live in Airdrie, but I work in Calgary. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like most of the people I encounter are not Christians, or I just assume they're not. T- <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I feel like, like I've lived in a more Christian society. Um, when I lived up north, I lived in a place called La Crete that was predominantly Mennonite. And it oh, felt like, so cool. what was that? Mennonites are so cool. Yeah, they are. Um, 
But what was really interesting is like I think like probably like it felt like ninety percent of the culture was Christian mm-hmm. or claimed to be Christian, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Can you see like kind of a complacency that sets in within that culture? For sure. Um, where it's almost like it, it's cool for the kids to be bad. That's how you kind of differentiate yourself from all the other people, which I guess yeah. isn't really different than the rest of society. But there's a certain edge to it. Like, it's like, oh, what are you doing? You're drinking now? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's an added thrill to it, I think, because they're living in a yeah. Christian society. Right. And I think that's probably the case back in the old days when our society was generally considered Christian and, like, Victorian era. Like, a lot of this stuff was hidden, and it made you extra cool if you had a mistress, right? Like, I, I don't know. I didn't live then, but. It's legit. I'm a dinosaur. I can speak on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read this somewhere. Biblical fear. I, I Either I read this or I made this up. I don't know. But biblical fear is an impetus for change rather than a reason for paralysis and dread. Hmm. I really Any more. like that. I really it, should Google that to see if I stole that. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're so to clarify that, based on kind of my initial hearing of it, you're saying that the whole idea that like in the Bible when they feared the Lord or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that kind of stuff, that it was that was what people used to change as opposed to just staying where they were and then just being scared of like what God would do. You, yeah, it's like, oh, something saying? bad's going to happen. Something's bad's going to happen. Instead of that, it's like, okay, I'm going to change now because of my fear of God. Yeah. So it's really exactly what we were talking about before, about how, like, you don't live, you don't sit there in your sin and just be like, okay, I got to feel like garbage for three weeks or I got to pay my penance. Instead, yeah. it's like, okay, repent, move on. Yeah, and go and sin no more. Yes. Oh, this one's actually a quote. N.T. Wright, virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. Oh, my gosh, I love that. I'm going to read that again. Virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. It's pretty good, eh? That is pretty good. That's really interesting. Good old wow, this right. like That's the, pretty awesome. It's the pretty deep part of the podcast right now, hey? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I Actually, was just, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I just finished watching a cartoon called Gravity Falls. Oh, I love Gravity Falls. Oh, my so goodness. Funny. I just finished it. Um, so Bill, Bill Caruso, Bill... Anyway, at the, towards the end of it, they run into this time where, like, there's this big bad guy, and he's, like, saying, there is no need for heroes. You know, courageousness is dead. You just have to be weird and just not even worry about other stuff. And so when you were reading that, I began to think about this because what the solution was for some of the people to be able to stand up against this bad person was that they had to, their courageous choices, their willingness to step in front of the line and to, to maybe hurt themselves, so that other people can be safe became second nature to them. Wow. And it was just, I was just like, my mind was blown. But actually, that was the first thing when you read that that I thought about. I was like, huh, I just saw a cartoon about that. Where was that from? But I think it, it really makes sense because that's what we do. That we just It just becomes second nature, and then we 
that's what we kind of uh, anyway yeah yeah cool. i want more like, of that like i want more of that like it's it's your moment it's like it becomes a second nature and you become kind of a hero right like not to sound too prideful about it but that's kind of what happens right like yeah. you like I, I remember um, there was this one time where I was a sponsor at youth group, and I was totally immature. I was like 20-something, but I was like being dumb. And I was like playing with the pastor's mic, and I broke it. It's like one of those like kind of bendy mics. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite as bendy as I thought because I snapped it. And one of the kids said, oh, oh, that's okay. Just, um, just put it back down, and no one will notice. And I'm like, no, I I gotta tell something this somebody this happened, right? And it yeah. was, it was not even a question for me. I'm like, I can't hide the fact that I broke this. But right. I was like thinking that was second nature to me in that moment. But it wouldn't be second nature to everybody. And so, and there was, I mean, there's things like that that it's like, okay, I'm pretty good at those things. Yeah. There's other things that are not second nature that are second nature to other people, right? Like clearly. Right. That's why it all works together for us to, you know, it's like Christianity. Is that we can't have people who are so different at things, and not everyone's supposed to be. I mean, we're all supposed to be one particular way, like Christians and doing the right thing. But there's no particular way to say this is the only way you can do the right thing. This is the only way to be courageous and whatnot. And the other thing I like about the interior quote is it's not just being courageous; it's also being courageous and wise, or wise mm-hmm. and courageous choices. So thinking yeah, because being courageous and, without wisdom is. How you end Being up an idiot, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, how do we recognize these things? It's it's demonstrated as part of the fruit of the Spirit. And um, something I heard in the um, Holy Post podcast that I thought was really interesting, um, Sky Jatani said, there's a reason why truth is not a fruit of the Spirit. So, like, we have this tendency to really look up to people that speak the truth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, speaking the truth is a good thing. I mean, the Bible says not to lie. But right. the fact that someone speaks the truth is not a demonstration of their relationship with Christ or a demonstration of the work of the Holy Spirit because the devil speaks the truth. I mean, he speaks a lot of lies, but he'll speak the truth too. And so it's a terrible way to tell whether someone really is of God or not, whether they speak the truth or not, what we should be doing is looking at the fruits of the Spirit. Because someone who does not speak the truth with love or doesn't demonstrate joy or doesn't demonstrate peace, right? They could be that Mm -hmm. super angry person you were talking about that Proverbs says, don't hang around that person. But they speak the truth and people are like, well, he does speak the truth, so he must be of God. And it's like, not necessarily true. That is very, very intriguing. Hmm. I feel like a lot of these need to kind of land. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I'm just like, okay, hold up. It's hard to be ADD with all this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think that that's one of the things, like, <clears throat> I, I hope this I hope this doesn't get political because I'm not trying to go there in that way. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think a lot of the thing of speaking truth to power and a lot of these people who who go and they say things that are true, well, you know, such and such is bad, such and such is all this kind of stuff, but they may not have necessarily the best way to go about it or the way that they're going about it isn't like loving and yeah. um, 
Yeah, that kind of stuff, and it, and it, it undercuts their the authority that they have to a lot of people. So I think if you have someone that's speaking the truth, but who also has joy, who has um, yeah. faithfulness and all, all the other fruit of the spirit, they're going to be. I think I would argue they're going to be universally liked by people who don't have anything to lose by that person coming into power. Not Absolutely. just politically, but everything else. Oh, this is true in the church. This is true in the workplace, right? Like, it's like fruits of the spirit, man. And I, I feel like something that's been kind of coming up a lot for me is that we, we are so hung up on this idea that it's like, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and we're just stuck there. Yeah. And it's like, I'm a sinner by, I screw up, but I'm forgiven. I screw up, but I'm forgiven. And we haven't moved on to like, what does it look like to be meek, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to love my neighbor as myself? Like, that fruit should be there, and we need yeah. to be in Christ so that we have that fruit. Um, something else I saw in the book by Levi Lusco, I could just keep talking about him the whole time. Um, he said uh, he said this. So I thought it was really interesting. Some people call it a bad mood. I call it being held hostage by the version of me I don't want to be. That's really good too. We're just yeah. getting like all the good stuff. <laughs> well, I feel like, and I I feel like it's, it's something we need to be able to identify in ourselves. And this is the constant battle with the flesh. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, it's just the way I am. It's like, shut up. The way Mm -hmm. you are, the way that God intended you to be was with the fruit of the Spirit. So if it's outside of those parameters of what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's not the way you are. Right. It's the way you've been corrupted by this world, by your experience. And we shouldn't give you a pat. Like, there's a huge difference between, like, yes, we need to accept you because, you know, this person just may not be as, as like, um, outgoing and friendly. This person may be more introspective. And this person is more, out, you know, uh, yeah. externally, whatever. And that's fine. Yes, you're just being the way that you are. But that doesn't mean that you can be really mean and cutting yep. and, like, rude to people. And that by us telling you this, then you're being, like, oppressed and not being allowed to express yourself. Like, exactly. No, you're 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 now you're being a jerk, and that's my way of loving you is by telling you the fact that you're being a jerk and alienating people. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, tough love, hey. And yep. it's knowing how to do that and still stay in that zone, in that sweet spot where we're actually being used by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth in love. Right. I've never seen the movie Twelve Strong, but. My favorite person right now, Levi Lusko, talks oh, wow. about this. Um, and he said that um, in it, like, basically these guys are trying to get the help of, man, I didn't even say what country it was. It's some Middle Eastern country. They're trying to get the help of some, like, bandits, but those bandits turn on them, right? Mm-hmm. And all that these Americans have are horses. Afghanistan. Afghanistan, there you go. And um, the... Bandits that they were trying to get to help them had tanks. So these guys have horses versus tanks. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. But along with their horses, they had laser pointers and cell phones. So what they were able to do with those cell phones 
is call fire from the sky in the form of the U.S. military. Yeah. America. America. But he used that as an illustration of what we have as Christians, and it's like our secret weapon we keep forgetting about. It's prayer. So when we talk about, like, all of this stuff that just sounds so daunting and so huge and so impossible, it's like we have this weapon, prayer, and our worship. Man, worship is war. That's how we defeat these things, and that's how we find ourselves in him, our true selves. I, I don't even have any comments on that. That's just like... <laughs> oh, man. So good to be podcasting again. Yes. That is... Pretty, I, I think... Actually, I do have a comment on that because I'm going to agree with it. Because it's just like one of the things as I was going through, like, um, are, are we going through withdrawals and like just feeling really antsy and like really got to move? And, I just, and it's a weird feeling because I don't know how to, what to do to make it better. It's not like with pain where you can just like begin to ignore it or take any kind of medicine and it goes away or whatever. And it's just like I'm over here doing this and I'm just like, hold on a second, I, 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 I can pray and like ask God to help me yeah. out with this. Like yeah. where. I, have, I didn't have to be suffering for the past 40 minutes. You know, I could have been like, hey, God, could you help me? And, you know, he may or may not choose to act in that situation. But it's like, I don't even think about it. And then I realize that I'm like, oh, I could do that. And so that is, I, yep. So for a dinosaur that has a theology degree, I totally forget to pray on a lot of times. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, it's funny. I just read um, a book. I read a ton of books over my holiday, um, and uh, this book I was reading, it's by Drew Dick, um, and it's all about self-discipline and what the Bible says about self-discipline um, and what psychology says about self-discipline, mm-hmm. right? It's like research-based and all this stuff, but um, what Drew says is like he was trying to figure out what are the things he needs to work on, what are the things that he needs to improve upon about himself. So he decided the best person to talk to about what he needs to improve would be his wife. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. Drew is like the editor for Leadership Magazine at Christianity Today, and I believe he works at a Bible college too. Um, mm. And he speaks at multiple places. Um, and so he's like kind of like, a pastor's pastor, right? Yeah. And he's like, I thought my wife was going to say, like, you need to pick up your socks or whatever. But she said, you need to be more spiritual. And it's like, what? Like, that's my job, right? (laughs) But he, so the discipline he started to work on was, like, reading the Bible and praying, you know, those disciplines, which I'm like, man, that's something we all need to work on. We're trying to figure out that time. And um, I know for me, I've found, and this is what's working for me right now, is like um, every morning while I'm eating breakfast, I read the Bible. I have like a one-year plan that I'm reading right now. Mm. So I just make myself do it. And if I miss it, I'm like, I'm reading two days (laughs) tomorrow, right? right? Um, And then the other thing that I need to get better at is prayer. And I want to do prayer as like something I do on my commute on the way home every day. Like, mm-hmm. just make that my practice, that I'll always pray on my way home. Because my setting changes all the time. Sometimes I'm in the office. Sometimes I'm way out in some oil field site, right? 
and it's like on my way back to home or to the hotel, I need to be praying. Okay. So that's something I need to do more of. But it's like trying to figure out those windows of opportunity, right? Kind of like when you try to find that window of opportunity for working out and stuff like that. So that yeah. was so to to kind of jump piggyback on that. that my mom had a um, had a two hour commute one direction um, for the longest time for about eight years. Um, she worked in downtown Atlanta with some stuff. But anyway, that was one of the things that she started doing is. Her her time going there was it was spent in prayer and in worship, and um, you know, things were going a lot better for um, for everyone when she was doing that for you know two hours on a daily basis almost. Um, so and it helped her stay awake too because sitting in traffic is it just drains all your um, energy and stuff like that. So as as someone who had that happen and had, had people praying for her stuff like that, then it was. Anyway, it's appreciative. So I'm sure your family will absolutely appreciate it. Um, and you may even notice cool things start happening just um, after the part of that. Yeah, we got we to gotta not underestimate this part of our faith because I feel like we get so theology-driven mm -hmm. and we want to fight over, you know, free will or charismatic giftings. And it's like all of that. And I mean... I, I really believe a lot of that is civilian affairs that we're getting entangled in that yeah. distracts us from what we sh really should be doing. And it's like, isn't God great? Like, let's let's worship him and let's trust him and let's ask him to work things out. Yeah. Even kind of on the reverse of that, you know, sometimes we are willing to overlook things that, like, because someone aligns with us on one of those, like, pet pet issues, for lack of a better term, we're willing to overlook something else where they're completely off in other areas. And then we end up promoting and like pushing for that type, um, you know, promoting that person when they may be doing something that is completely off. But they, we both agree on that one pet issue. Therefore, we're totally fine. In different, and that's not political. It's just like in terms of like theology and stuff like that. And um, Oh, definitely. It's easy to compromise yourself to get whatever ends you want. And it's like, what are, what are our core motivations in what we're yeah. doing? And like our core motivation should be to reconcile people to God, to help God, or to, to be an instrument to reconcile people to God. So if that's not what it's going to do, if whatever you're going to do is not going to reconcile people to God, then why do any of it? Yeah. Well, I think we are out of time. Um, no. This was fun, though. Hey, it was fun. a lot more deep than fun, but it was good. It's good. Hey, that's why it was so much fun because it was so deep. <laughs> so, um, people can catch you on uh, Twitter. It's Twitter? Saint yep. Theosaurus Rex, right? Yep. Um, S T Theosaurus Rex. Yep. On Twitter. There you go. And Facebook and YouTubes and all that kind of good stuff on the YouTubes. All right. Toodaloo, everybody. Toodaloo. One, two.
ADD Masterminds.